0: Be seated. Amen. Amen. If you're thankful for grace and mercy, can you say amen this morning? And uh, I know if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of our good God to us, uh, we don't. We wouldn't be here today, I'll tell you that much, and uh, we deserve hell, we deserve wrath, and uh, yet he bestowed his love and mercy on us. Well, listen, it is so good uh, to see you uh, here uh, this morning. I'm so glad that you are a part of, of our service here this morning, and uh, we're excited that you are here. We're excited about our veterans, and uh, I know uh, this weekend uh, is Veterans Weekend, and we get an opportunity to say thank you, uh, which is important for every single one of us. And so we had a good breakfast uh, down there. So if you see somebody walking around with a lanyard on um, that says what branch uh, that they serve in, make sure that you uh, say thank you before you leave here today and just uh, show your appreciation to them. Also, uh, we did that so we can show all of you who was down at the breakfast. So if you see any of them dozing off after uh, getting full, you can kind of give them a little nudge and uh, that kind of thing, and, and, um, and just kind of make sure that they stay awake uh, here today. But uh, it is good to see you, in veterans, we could not uh, be more grateful uh, for you uh, here uh, today. And, uh, and every single day, we're thankful for that. And I know that there are many of you in here today who uh, you have a veteran, and uh, uh, maybe that they've passed away. Uh, maybe you're married to one, or you have a parent. Um, and uh, we just want you to know that we're here for you as well today. I am thinking of one in particular, although there's a bunch of those, but uh, it is good to see uh, Betty Nifong uh, here in the service here today, and uh, I'm just glad you're here, Betty. And uh, yesterday we had a celebration of life for uh, Archie, who was a veteran, and, uh, and so just such a good, a good service. That's what the flowers are here for uh, here today. And I know Betty hadn't been able to come lately because she's been where she should be, right there next to Archie, taking care of him. And uh, it is good to see you. Can we give her a hand today? I'm glad you're here. So for sure. And uh, well, if you have your Bible here today, go to John chapter number eight, John chapter number eight uh, here today. And uh, John chapter number eight. We're continuing our series. This is week number four. Um, of a series that uh, we started uh, entitled Altered, and uh, this series, uh, the word altered means to change or to cause to change in character or composition, and so we are looking uh, at seven seven different encounters that Jesus had with different people through the Gospel of John, and uh, so we have seen numerous uh, different encounters, and everybody came to Jesus in a different way. Week Number one, we saw Nathaniel, and when he came to Jesus, you know he was skeptical. Can anything good come out of out of Nazareth? We saw uh, as well, we saw Nicodemus, who was curious as he came to Jesus at night and uh, and so today uh, we are going to see uh, the sinful, uh, this adul- adulterous woman who shows up and has this encounter. Uh, with Jesus here in John chapter 8. Now last week, these stories are somewhat similar. We were in John chapter 4 uh, when we saw the Samaritan woman, and uh, yes, there were some. She was living in adultery, and so some of the uh, the theming is very similar to this week, but completely different uh, accounts. And so last week, we really called that the the outcast that showed up to Jesus because Jews and and Samaritans, uh, they, they had a feud between the two of them because Samaritans were half-breeds, and so Jews didn't care for them. And so uh, Jesus went through Samaria, met the Samaritan woman, and, uh, and she was e- eternally changed. And so today we come to John chapter number 8, another uh, familiar encounter with Jesus, but it is a reminder that as you encounter Jesus, everything in your life is altered. Everything in your life... Uh, is, is changed. So let's read this together. Uh, verse number one of John chapter number eight, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them. So, uh, just a little bit of the setting here, just so you understand exactly where we're at, um, is in chapter seven. And we're not going to take the time to look at this, but you can you can read it in your own time. Chapter seven uh, shows us that uh, a large multitude had gathered there uh, together for a specific reason. They were there celebrating uh, the last Jewish. Uh, feast that they would celebrate for the year. The last feast that they would celebrate was called the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, many refer to it as the Feast of Booths. And, uh, and what that was is all these people would come together. In fact, uh, this is one of the three different feasts that every single Jewish boy was required to to attend, and what they would do is, it's an eight-day feast, and it would start on the Sabbath and it would end on the Sabbath, and um, or there were two Sabbaths in between that. And what they would do is, they would get all these branches from the trees, and they would uh, they would put those together for tents, and it was a reminder for that whole week of God's provision. For them when they lived in the wilderness. Remember back in the Old Testament book of Exodus, as they escaped out of Egypt, they wandered around in the wilderness and they were living in these temporary tents, these temporary dwelling places. And as they lived there, they had to trust God for all of their provision for their food remember he would he would bring manna and he would take care of them and as they traveled and they would travel at night he would put you know a pillar of fire uh, by night and a cloud by day and, and and that was to help lead them and guide them and they were reliant and dependent upon him for everything and so all the people in chapter 7 have gathered here for that specific purpose to remember God's provision over over them. And so this is happening on the tail end of that. So all that had just happened, verse number 3, and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst. Now, I wanted to point out one thing. The word taken, it's very important that you understand this uh, here today. The word taken in the Greek actually implies this, that she was called, and you see it here because it says in verbatim, she was caught in the very act of adultery. So there's a lot of commentators who will go as far to say that this woman that was brought into the midst of this religious ceremony. All these people have gathered together for a religious purpose, to remember God. So there was a lot of people there, you know, we would call them like church people, you know, the people who who knew right from wrong. They knew how you're supposed to live. They're the ones who you would assume are worshiping God, and they bring this lady caught in the very act. Many commentators believe she might have had a sheet around her or something like that because they had just caught her in this act of adultery, and they set her in the midst. They set her in the midst of all of these people. And in, in verse number 4, here's what they said. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken into adultery in the, in the very act. Now, I want you to understand that not only were they religious critics and, and they were casting a stone upon this woman, they really brought her into the midst to try and test Jesus and catch him in a moment where he was not going to abide by the the Old Testament law. You see that in verse number 5. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? If you look back in the Old Testament book of Leviticus, you can see all the different laws that, uh, that God had given to the nation of Israel. And one of those laws was that if you find somebody in adultery, that they can be stoned. In other words, that they would be put to to death. And so these men, they bring this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery in the middle of her sin. They put her into the midst of all of these people that had scattered around Jesus. They put her in front of Jesus to test him, but also to shame this woman. And they put her there right in front of him and they say, Jesus, what are we going to do? Isn't the law or doesn't the law say that this woman should be... Should be stoned. What do you say about that? Verse number six. This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus, he stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, I mean, Jesus is just down there. These men are like, hey, Jesus, do you hear me? Jesus. Like, why aren't you going to respond? Don't you know what the Old Testament law says? And here's Jesus in the middle of that, just riding with his finger in, in, into the ground. And so they continued asking him. He lifted up himself, and he said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down, and he began to ride on the ground again. And they which heard it, verse number 9, being convicted, I love this part, by their own conscience, they went out one by one. So, so Jesus, he, he makes this one statement to them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And in that moment, all these men felt the deep conviction about their own sin In their own life, in other words, Jesus took all of the pressure and the eyes off of this sinful woman and onto them for a few moments, and as they felt convicted, they went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those <clears throat> thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Jesus, or she said, verse number 11, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Can we pray together? Father, God, you're so good to us. And Lord, I'm in need of your grace here today, your mercy. And Father, I pray, Lord, as we look to this familiar passage of Scripture, that each one of us here today can can learn something from this, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Maybe it's on our uh, religion or it's on our judgmental attitudes, or being critical. Or, Father, maybe it's on the other side that we are living in sin, and you need to convict us of that uh, here today. God, wherever we are, we're all sinful, we're all broken in different ways. I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, bless the reading of your word, and hide me behind the cross here today, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this woman is caught in the act of adultery, According to the law, she should be shamed, she should be condemned, and she should be stoned. Now, there's two voices that I want you to understand that you you can hear uh, here in this passage. The first uh, one is the voice of the religious critic, what I'm going to call the religious critic. Now, I want to describe that to you so that you understand exactly what that looks like uh, here today. The religious uh, critic is one that... Likes to condemn, that likes to destroy, and likes to, to shame. In other words, the religious critic is quick to judge and quick to put other people down. You know somebody like that, Rager? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. And uh, some of you are like, man, I'm sitting next to that person right now, okay? Hopefully you're not married to them, but you're one of those. And uh, But here's what I'm telling you, is that religious critics are not just common. I know we call them Pharisees, is what they were perceived to be in, in the New Testament. They were those who really knew the law. They were religious, and and so they knew right from wrong. They were moral people, and, and life was, you know, if for a lot of people around there, they would think they're the spiritual ones, but here was the problem with with the Pharisees is that they were quick to point out everybody else's flaws and totally forget about their their own flaws. The critics, the religious critics, they're critical. They consider themselves kind of the ones who are there to police everybody that's doing wrong around them, right? It's that where they want to point the finger all the time at, at everybody else, but. When it's pointed back at them, they're quick, quick to be offended, right? You know what I'm talking about? They're, they're quick to point out everything everybody else is doing wrong. They're always walking around like, hey, you, why, why'd they do that? Or where have they been? You know, they're always looking around, looking. But if you ever approach them about their critical spirit or something in their life, what do they do? They immediately get defensive. Why? Because they like to put down everybody else around them and elevate their own self, so that the people around them in this, in this area, the, the crowd around them, would elevate the Pharisee's spiritual life and that they could put somebody else down. That's the first group of people you see here is those that were the religious critic. But then the second voice that you see here is the voice of, of Jesus. And the voice of Jesus was, was much different than what I just described to you. It was much different than what I just described to you. In fact, the voice of Jesus it is much, much different. In his voice, it was no condemnation. When Jesus spoke, there was no shame. Rather, if you see this, and you've got to put yourself there because this is such a a wild story that a lot of times we look at and I don't know where a lot of us would fall. And I'm not saying that to judge you, but I think a lot of us, if we were in the audience that day, we might have leaned a little bit with the religious critic. We might lean a little bit with that voice and the Pharisees because somebody was brought with their sin in front of us, and so we would probably be a little bit on that side. And Jesus completely turns everything on its head, and he goes the other direction and says, There's no condemnation, there's no shame, but rather, in the midst of your sin, there's love, and there is acceptance, and there is, there is forgiveness. In other words, you can be accepted into the arms of Jesus even in the midst of your brokenness and sinfulness. You see, this woman was found in the middle of her sin, and in the middle of her sin, Jesus loved her and accepted her and forgave her. And here's what's interesting about the whole story, is that this woman was undeserving, She was undeserving. And I'll go as far to say this about the woman. She was guilty of exactly what it says in the book of Leviticus in the Torah that all the religious crowd would have known that this woman deserved to be stoned and deserved to be put to death that day. She didn't deserve what she received. Jesus messaged her. He did not come to shame or condemn her. He came to to save her. He came to, to save her. And I want to point out a couple things about this story that I think will, will help us today. The first thing is this, the attitude. I want you to see this, the attitude of Jesus towards sinners. And, and I want you to know up front that I think a lot of us get it wrong a lot of times. And I'm going to put myself in that category, okay? So I'm going to be completely honest, completely transparent with you today. I, I think a lot of times I can lean heavily on the judgmental personality. Right? Where it's easy for me to point out everybody else's flaws, and sometimes I struggle seeing my own, right? Can we all agree to some degree that we struggle with that, right? Some of you are really, really good at pointing out everybody's, everybody's flaws, and th- you've you never thought you've done one bad thing in your life ever, right? Why is that? That's how we're naturally inclined a lot of time to see everyone else's flaws, to see everybody else's sin, but we have all of these problems in our own heart that we forget. And I want you to understand Jesus' attitude towards sinners was much different than what you see for a lot of us. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this uh, in the book of Romans. It's such a a great book. We did a study on that verse by verse uh, in our Wednesday night Bible study uh, a little over a year ago. And uh, just a phenomenal study about about this very point. In Romans chapter number 7, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's he's talking about how he struggles a lot of times with keeping the law and he's struggling with what he wants to do. You see, Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus and he writes this this book to the church at Rome and in his book, in his letter that he writes to the church at Rome, he he writes in Romans chapter 7 about his struggles, that what he wants to do, in other words, what the Spirit is leading him to do, he struggles to do, but what he hates, kind of the judgmental spirit and all the things he doesn't want to do, he says that those are the things that I find myself doing. How many of you can ad- identify with that? Raise your hand, right? You're, you're trying to be kind to people that aren't kind to you, and then you lose your mind with them at some point. You ever been there? Okay, some of you are nodding, like, yeah, I've been there. You know, some of you are like, I was there this morning, and so I get it, you know, I lost my mind with my kids. And then you find yourself saying, Man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. My heart doesn't want to do that, but the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Well, the Apostle Paul, he relates perfectly with you. He was saying, Man, the things I love to do, or the things I want to do, I can't find myself doing, and vice versa. He ends chapter seven with an interesting question that leads straight into chapter eight. He says this. Who, verse number 24, of Romans chapter 7, who shall deliver me from this body of death? What what an interesting question that the Apostle Paul is asking. And he says, Romans chapter 7, he says, who's going to deliver me? In other words, if you look at it in context, he's saying this, how in the world am I going to get deliverance from me struggling with this spiritual life in, in, in my life? And then you come to chapter 8. Chapter 8 opens with one of the most famous verses in all of Romans. And it says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You see, what he was saying was the law condemns, and that's what you see here in this passage. The Pharisees were looking at the law and looking and saying, because of the law, this person should be condemned. And what the New Testament would teach us is this, the law can never save you. You can keep every aspect of the moral law and try your best, but I'll tell you this, it can never save you because it's it's impossible for you to keep every bit of the law. It's impossible for you. And so because the law cannot save you, you had to be saved in another way. In other words, Jesus is the only one that came and did what the law could never do for you. Jesus came and did what the law could never do for you. And because of that, because of that, there's now no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Now, the word condemnation, it's a legal term. And it basically means this, that you owed a debt that is still being held against you, right? So there's a debt that still is being raised to you. I remember recently I was with one of our church members, and we were sitting down for lunch at East Coast, um, East Coast Wings down here on 150. And, uh, and after we were done eating, you know, a lot of times if you're still chit-chatting with whoever you're there with, <clears throat> We, uh, you know, the bill was sitting there, and I had told the person that I, w- I would take care of the bill. And so the bill was, was sitting there, and we're just chit-chatting away. And just not even thinking, you know, the lady had laid it down, and, and she's kind of moved on or whatever. And uh, so we just kind of get up, and we just walk right out of East Coast Wings. <laughs> like, you ever been there? Okay. And, and so, uh, so we just walk right out of the restaurant. And and we continue the conversation out in the parking lot, and it wasn't long before a lady runs out there and says, "Sir, you didn't pay for this." And I said, "Hey, I don't know if you attend church anywhere, but I." <laughs> and uh, but I was like, "I'm so sorry." And I know what she's thinking. She's thinking those guys are, are just kind of like stealing today and they're thieves and everything else. Or whatever. So I ran back in there and I paid. But here's what I want you to understand is that the bill was still there and somebody had to pay for the bill. Somebody had to pay. You see, that bill, I had a debt to East Coast Wings for what we just, the service that we just got and and the food that we just ate. I had this, this bill, this debt that was against us and somebody had to come in and pay for that bill. And so when I went in there, I paid for it, everything's good and we were able to leave. But the point is, is when we think of the word condemnation, it's a legal term that you owe a debt that is still being held against you. You owe a debt that is still being held against you. And here's what I want you to understand. Jesus came and he paid for your debt. You see, your debt that you owe, that you could never pay and you could never have enough money and you could never do enough good things, Jesus came and he completely paid for that with his, with his blood. And that's what the woman is learning about right here, that there's no condemnation. So now when Jesus says that, It's the point that in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, your debt is forever paid. In other words, it's been paid in full, and you are not condemned. You owe nothing. You owe nothing. Listen, that's the message of the gospel. That's why we come. That's why we gather. We don't gather just because this is something we check off our list of religious things that we do during the week. No, every single week that we gather... And every single day that you hopefully go into your prayer closet and you spend time in the Word of God and you pray together as a family, every time you do that, that's not for any religious reason. Here's what it's for. It's a time for you to be reminded that He has forever paid the debt that you could never pay in your life. And that's why we've gathered here today. You know, when I preach, sometimes I look out here and I'm thinking, Man, I don't know if half of you, because of your faces, have your debt paid in full yet. And I'm not, that was really ugly, man. I sounded like, you know, my old school church background right there, you know, yelling and hollering and stuff. Here's my thing. I'm just telling you, it should do something in your life. It should do something. It should move you. It should move you. Never get over the fact of what Jesus has done for you. That's what the woman was learning. You see, here's what's awesome about the fact that of what Jesus did and his attitude. Jesus loved the woman just as she was. Like in the midst of her adultery, Jesus loved her. That's the amazing thing about this story. And I want you to know that he paid for your debt before you even sinned. You see, Jesus coming and paying for our debt happened thousands of years ago. Before I was even thought about, before you were even thought about. Which means that he not only wiped out the present condemnation then... But his death also wiped out the possibility of our future condemnation in the future. You see, he wiped it all clean for you so that you could live eternity. That's the attitude of Jesus toward us. The second thing I want you to see is the need for Jesus. This is what the lady learned. The need for Jesus in our lives. And he makes this this claim in verse number 12. Jesus said... I am the light of the world. Now, this happened right to this woman. This one's there, and she's caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus you know, tells her, hey, uh, you know, I'm not you know, condemning you. Go and sin no more. And then he says unto her and to the other people that are gathered, he says that he is the light of the, the world. And and the reason is, is because he was making this claim that without him, the world is in darkness. Now, if you think about it, before physical light came into the world, there was no void. Scripture talks about that. That means that there's no purpose. There's no meaning. There was nothing in this world before light came into this. And the spiritual application is that for you... And for me, is that before Jesus came into your life as the light of the world, there was no light in your life. In other words, you were in, in darkness. Ephesians chapter 5 says that you who were once in, in darkness, and t- in other words, those who haven't trusted in Jesus are in darkness. Acts chapter 26, this is Peter's uh, sermon before Agrippa. And he said that his desire is that they turn from darkness to light, that they turn from darkness to to light. The point is that we all are born into darkness. You see, this woman had to learn that, and that's the point of what Jesus was trying to tell them, that the religious crowd, they were still born into darkness. Those who are sinful, the ones who are adulterous, they were also equally born into darkness. And before Jesus comes into your life, all of us are are in darkness and there's no way out of darkness but through through Jesus. Now, if you think about darkness and what it is, is darkness has has pain, fear, and danger. Right, right. How many of you admit you're still scared of the dark? You you don't like you don't like uh, being in the dark. Okay, not many of you are going to ever admit that in an adult service. I get it, but if you think about it, at the end of the day, we don't really care for for darkness right? Darkness makes you run into things in the middle of the night, right, when you don't turn on the lights. I remember, um, and, and I want you to understand that I am not the smartest guy in the world. Now, I know some of you are like, really? Like, I didn't know that, and so um, I'm not, and, uh, and I've done some, some very, very stupid things that I'm embarrassed of, and a lot of those I like to share from up here so you can understand that I am a human being, and, and so when I was a freshman, in college, and uh, I went to, to college in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, they had this thing, I went to a smaller school, it's only, like, eh, did I hear a Jacksonville, Florida representing, and so that's awesome, and, um, but I, uh, I went to school at Trinity Baptist College, and, and it's a small school, so only a few hundred people, and what they do is uh, they always do an activity for new students, okay, so that you can meet people and, and different things like that. And so I'd never been in Jacksonville, and I'd been there for, like, one day. And this event happens on, like, the second day we're all there. So we just moved in the day before. You're learning who people are. And what they do is they get you together, and it's always this event, and they call it, uh, they might have called it a creative name, but it's a photo scavenger hunt. And what you have to do is you have to go all over the city, and, uh, and you have to take pictures of this list of items that they give you, and, uh, and then whoever comes back they are award- first, they are awarded a, a prize. And so this is for new students to meet people, so the entire student body is there, and all of us freshmen who are just getting to know people, we're kind of learning who they are, so they place us in all these groups, because we don't have friends yet, and so they place us in all these different groups, and uh, so I got placed in this group with like four other people that I did not know who they were. And after this night, I don't think that they cared that they would ever know who I am after that, okay? We went out, and it was dark, and it was a late-night activity. It was kind of one of those college activities. I don't know why they do these things, but it was one of those things that, like, started at 10 p.m. I don't know why, you know, that's a part of college life, but it started at 10 p.m. We went out as a group, and they split you all up, and it was kind of one of those things where you got to hurry. You got to be quick, and, uh, and so they sent us out of this room and said, all right, go. you got to be back here in like two hours. And, and uh, so I jump in this car with people that I did not know, and it is dark, but it's also raining, and it's been raining all day, just pouring rain, and it was just terrible, basically like Florida weather. And uh, so it's just raining, raining, raining. And so we're driving in the rain. I'm thinking this was like the most unsafe thing in the whole world, but here we are as freshmen, and uh, there we are. And so I get into this car with four other people, and uh, one of the things on our list was you had to take a picture uh, underneath a sign, uh, underneath a bank sign that said the exact time. So, in this case, it was like 1049. And you had to take a picture of your group underneath this sign. Well, we get to this bank, and uh, and we get there, and it's like 1046. So, you got to wait. You're just waiting. So, these people task me. They say, Hey, Josh, that's your name, right? I'm like, yeah, that's my name. And uh, they say, why don't you do this? There's a restaurant way over there through this parking lot. And they say, hey, why don't you go over there? And I want you to see if there's a dumpster behind it because we had to take a picture of two of our team members standing on top of a dumpster. Okay? So they sent me, I'm like, okay, over that way, the restaurant, right? And they're like, yeah, right over there. I'm like, hey, I'm your guy. I'm quick. I can do this. I'm I'm probably fast. And so I can be back. And so we can take this picture underneath the underneath the sun. So I remember I'd never been there. I mean, this is new to me. And it's raining like crazy. So I am true story, by the way, this is how stupid I am. I start running. A hundred miles an hour, I felt like I was going as fast as I possibly could, and I'm running, and all I can think, I'm like puddles, puddles, puddles. I mean, I'm just splashing everywhere. And I'm running as fast as I can, and it's pouring rain everywhere. Dead serious, I'm running as fast as I can, and sure enough, as I'm going, I'm just like all of a sudden, I'm completely submerged underneath water, (laughs) like completely underwater. Like, I mean, I'm talking my whole body. And I remember vividly being underwater for a second, thinking, just stay under here. Like, <laughs> I was like, what just happened? I literally am like, how in the world? Like, what in the world? Like, this must have been a big puddle that I must have missed. And, and I come up, and I'm just like, I'm in the middle of a pond. <laughs> and I, I literally am like swimming to shore, because I was going so fast, I swam to shore and I'm thinking, how are, am I going to explain? Oh yeah, I'm, I didn't see the pond, <laughs> and so, and but it was so dark, and and I'm running through this parking lot that there happened to be in between all these restaurants and it's pitch black. There was no like lights around there or whatever. There's this this retention pond. In the middle of like this area, since then, if you go down there, true story, there's a fence around it, and that fence came, you know, 15 years too late, okay? And so, but I remember thinking like, man, and going back, you can't explain that. I remember saying, yeah, it was dark, and I couldn't see it, and they're thinking, man, it's a pond. It doesn't matter if it's pitch black, you should be able to see a pond, but I couldn't tell, and so I remembered how darkness, you struggle to see what's around you, right? You struggle to to see things, Right, And that's what, what Scripture says we are before Jesus. Is that We are spiritually blind. We can't see anything spiritual. And Ephesians chapter 2 says because of the darkness that we have in our life, we can do nothing but try to please our flesh. You can do nothing apart from Him. And that's what darkness does in your, your light. And here's the point that Jesus was making here in John chapter 8. Is he said, Jesus, or him, he claimed, I am the light of the world. In other words, you who are in darkness, which is everybody before Jesus, the only way out of the dark and into the light is through a man, and his name is Jesus. You see, that's the point. That's what he's trying to teach them is that, listen, this adulterous woman, the only way out of the dark and into the light is through the light of the world. And his name is Jesus. And for those of you who are, you know, a religious critic, the only way out of the dark and into the light is through Jesus. For some of you who are deep in your sin and nobody knows about it and you've never trusted Jesus in your life, guess what? For you, it's the same thing. It's true of every religious critic that there is. It's true of every single person that walks the face of the earth. The only way out of darkness and into light is through Jesus. And you say, why is that? Because we're hopeless without him. We're hopeless without him. Remember, I said that they're gathered together celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, this moment that they are remembering what Jesus had done. Now, when they do the Feast of Tabernacles, there's a specific Jewish tradition or ritual uh, that they had that it was called the illumination of the temple. You've probably read about this and and seen some of this. But there is during the Feast of Tabernacles, there's this moment where they do this illumination of the temple. And what they do is they light all of these lights, these kind of like chandelier type things. And they light all of those. And it is a specific reminder of the times where they would travel at night when it was dark. And God would put this pillar of fire in the sky to guide them so that they knew exactly where to go. And so everybody there in the audience that day had gathered for a purpose. And they had all been a part probably earlier that week of the illumination of the temple where God, where they're reminding about, hey, you remember when when God led us through that pillar of fire and he showed us where we're supposed to go and, and things like that. And they're remembering God's provision and his guidance over, over them. It's a reminder that we are nothing without Jesus. You see, without the pillar of fire for the children of Israel... They just wandered around in the wilderness. Without the pillar of fire, they they didn't know where to go. Without the pillar of fire, they didn't know the direction in order for them to go. And all they were left to do was just walk around in the dark. And the point is, is that Jesus came to be our light. To be our light. And so Jesus is teaching the people and he says, Hey, listen, we don't need a pillar of fire anymore. We don't need a pillar of fire to lead you. We don't need a pillar of fire to provide for you. We don't need a pillar of fire. No, we have Jesus. He is now our light. And if you look to him and you trust to him or trust in him, then now your path is illuminated and you can see. You can see you move out of darkness and into his glorious light. The third thing I want you to see, we've seen the attitude of Jesus towards sinners. Second thing, the need for Jesus in our lives. The third thing, the result of Jesus. What happens when you trust in Jesus? What happens? And here, Jesus specifically tells her, verse number 11, neither do I condemn thee. But then he adds on this thing that I think is so important. says, go and sin no more. Now, um, I, I think that there's a tension uh, about how this is applied in today's world, isn't there? Have you ever kind of heard somebody argue like, you know, somebody's trying to share the truth, or trying to love everybody, and how do you balance love and truth? You ever felt that sometimes? You're like, man, I really want to love this person, but I also kind of want to tell them, hey, the Scripture it tells you not to do that, and how, how do you... How do you balance that? And I think it's a very difficult thing, but I think the best way to balance it is to balance it the way that, that Jesus balanced it. And I want to show you how he did that. Jesus, what you got to understand, he was 100% love. You see that in Scripture. He, he loved the thief on the cross. That thief hadn't done anything good, but you know what Jesus told the thief on the cross? He didn't have a chance to get his life right. He didn't have a chance to fix everything. He didn't have a chance to reconcile the debts that he had, had done that led him to the life. What did Jesus say? He said, hey, I love you. You're going to be with me in paradise. And, and so the point is, is that Jesus loved him. He loved this woman caught in the middle of her adultery right there, probably not properly clothed, and he caught her and he, he loved her he loved, as we're going to see soon in our series, he loved the, the demon-possessed guy. In the middle of, of how they were demon-possessed, Jesus Jesus loved them. You say, what are you trying to tell me? I want you to understand, Jesus was love 100% of the time. In other words, we as Christians should be, if we're like Jesus, we should be love, right? In other words, we shouldn't be the religious critic, You shouldn't be the police that that is looking around and finding every fault that everybody has in in your life. That shouldn't be. No, you should be the one who is known for how much you love everybody, and you don't love them for what you think they should be. You love them for who they are. In other words, in the middle of of their sin, in the middle of their brokenness, in the middle of their problems, we as Christians, if we're like Jesus, we should love them right as they are, because that's the way Jesus loved you. That's the way Jesus loved you. That's the way Jesus loved loved this woman. So I tell you this, those who are in adultery, love them. Those who are, are homosexual, love them. Those who are sinful and broken and have problems that you know about, if you're like Jesus, love them. But here's the thing. Jesus does not stop there. You see, here's what Jesus does. is He says, you are loved, you are accepted, you are, are forgiven. And, and Jesus tells, and it's very important you notice the progression here. He says, neither do I condemn thee. In other words, you're accepted like you are. You are loved like you are. You are forgiven just as you are. But because you're forgiven, because you're loved, because you're accepted, go and Sin no more. In other words, what you got to understand about Jesus is he was 100% love, loved people just like they are, but then he was 100% truth all at the same time. He was 100% love, he was 100% truth. In other words, you aren't like Jesus if you only speak the truth and you have no love. No, the Bible would call you self righteous. But you aren't like Jesus if you only speak love and forget the message of truth either. The Scripture would actually say that you lean liberal in your theology. You see, we have to be both. We have to be love, and we have to love people just as they are, but recognize that Jesus loved them too much for them to stay that way. You see, that's the message of the gospel. Every single one of us, if we all gave our testimony and we went person by person in this room, to tell about your testimony. Here's the thing. None of you are going to say that I fixed up my life first so that I could gain acceptance into a relationship with God. Because that's not salvation. But every single one of you should have a story where God loved me in the middle of my brokenness, in the middle of my sin, in the middle of my problems. God loved me in the middle of all of that. And because he loved me and I stopped trusting in my works and and my religion and all these things that I try to trust in, and I started trusting in him, when that happened, guess what? My life started to change. My life radically changed. The things that I used to want to do, I don't want to do anymore. The way that I used to think about people has changed and now I have a different thought press to them or a thought process to them. I used to be the most critical person at Union Grove Baptist Church and now because of what Jesus has done for me, I now can't even explain it, but now I'm... I'm, not, I'm loving. I don't walk around policing everybody's issues because I'm just reminded every time I see somebody else have issues that, hey, listen, you're in good company because I have issues and God loved me the way I am in the middle of my issues and it's because of his love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace and mercy that I receive. Now I realize I don't have to go and sin no more. You see, that's the message of the gospel. That's the whole point of the series, that once you encounter Jesus, your life changes, Your life changes. You have different desires. You have different attitudes. You have different behaviors. Your life is changing. And so you can't just say, Oh, man, God loves me. I'm going to live however I want. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is God has loved you in the middle of your brokenness. And it's through that love and trusting in Him that the Holy Spirit inside of you can change your life. And He can give you desires that you did not have before. You see, Jesus didn't come to shame this woman. He came to save her. And when she was saved, her life could be, could be changed. Now, I, w- I want you to think as we close this thing out, the setting here, our sin, this lady's sin was before everybody. Aren't you thankful that that's not how it's worked out for you? I hope it hasn't. <laughs> That'd be a terrible experience. Is that if, you know, we started pulling everybody that has sin in in your life right in front of the church and said, hey, this person, they were being critical out in the Welcome Center. Need to deal with it. They were gossiping out in the Welcome Center. Need to deal with it. I saw this person on Friday night. They weren't doing what they say they were doing on Sunday. Need to deal with it, right? I don't know why I'm talking in kind of a high pitch, but whatever. But the point is, like, what you know? Aren't you thankful that we don't have this deal? But I want you to think of this setting here. It's all these religious people. Jesus in the middle. Jesus is teaching them. They just had this whole big uh, feast of tabernacles all week, where they're remembering how good God is to them and how He saved them and how He's provided for them. He's protected them. All this stuff's happening, and and this woman gets thrown out, and all these Pharisees are thinking this is the moment. You know, Jesus is going to be caught in a lie. This woman's going to be shamed because she's sinful. And we're all going to celebrate because we're good, we're religious, and this person's wrong and Jesus is wrong. So they throw her in the middle of all of this. And her sins are, are out there. There's nothing she can do. She can't deny it. She can't excuse it. She can't try to use any type of excuse. Here's the thing. She's an adulterer. And I want you to understand the setting is that one day when we stand before God, your sin is fully exposed <laughs> It's not hidden. God knows it. And in the midst of all that, if, and it's not going to be like this, I don't think, but as your sin and your charges are, are kind of brought before God, this person's done this, this person's done this, done this, you've done this, you've done that. Josh Evans has done this. Josh Evans, man, he's done some really bad stuff. He's done this. As all that happens, here's just what I want you to understand. In the midst of all that, if you've trusted in Jesus, there's now no condemnation in your life. There's no condemnation. You are fully exposed before him, and yet you're fully loved at the very same time. Jesus steps in as our advocate and says he's paid for all the sins that you have committed. All the charges that are brought against you, Jesus paid for them all. And I'll tell you this, God, he does not today. If you're in sin today, and maybe you're even a Christian, you've trusted Jesus and Savior, and you've kind of strayed from that. Here's the good news of of our relationship with Jesus. God doesn't love you. I read this this week. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. Think about that. God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ because guess what? We all fall short. Every single one of us. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ. You see, he doesn't love you to the degree that you're like him, because I'll tell you this, I sin every single day. If that's the case, if that's the case, then then some days I'm accepted and loved by God, other days I'm not. Guess what? He doesn't love you to the degree that you're like him. He loves you to the degree that you're in him. And I'll tell you this, if you're a Christian here today, that's 100% of the time you are in Jesus Christ. You are safely wrapped in the palm of his hand 100% of the time. That means that when I go out and mess up, God is still pleased with me because he died to save me. And the scripture says there's no condemnation in my life. Here's the question. Do you know Jesus? I'm not asking about your church attendance. I'm not asking about the things you've done. I really don't care. My question is, do you know Jesus? Because there's absolutely nobody like Jesus. And when you know Jesus, your life can be radically changed forever. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're in here today and you say, Pastor... And, and I know we ask questions every week. I just want you to be honest. Listen, we're, I'm done with the religious critic type thing. Listen, I'll just tell you this. I just want you to be honest before God and before me today. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor, I have never trusted Jesus as my Savior. That's me, where I'm at today. Nobody's looking around, heads bowed, hearts lifted in prayer. Listen, our church welcomes you. We love you. But I want you to know God loves you way too much for you to stay where you're at today in spiritual darkness. And the way out of that darkness is through the light of the world. If you're in here today and you say, Pastor, that's where I'm at today. I'm in darkness. Like, I might not be in what this woman was, but but I am in darkness today spiritual darkness and and I need out of that I need I need the light I want I want my life to change and and you say pastor that's where I'm at today would you be honest before God and before me and just slip up your hand high enough for me to see it long enough for me to recognize it anybody anywhere okay yes I see that hand thank you listen God loves you and he loves you so much that if you trust in him and stop trusting in your own self, and stop trusting in your own good works, and stop trying to do all this. Listen, he loves you, and you can accept him here today. Thank you for your honesty. In a moment, I'll give you a chance to respond. But then to the Christians, there's a lot of Christians in here who have trusted Jesus and your Savior. You say, Pastor, and I'm not going to ask which side of the aisle you're on, but, but you say, Pastor, I, I've, I struggle sometimes with this judgmental personality that I see here in this story. I'm quick to cast a stone, and I forget that I have a lot of issues in my own life. My hand's going to be raised on this one because I just want to do better in this area. But you say, Pastor, that's kind of where I'm at today. Can you pray and lift me up in your closing prayer? I'm struggling with kind of that critical religious personality, and I struggle with it. Would you slip up your hand? Be honest before God. Listen, I'm there. My hand's up. (laughs) I notice everybody's flaws, and sometimes when somebody points them out to me, I put up a 1,000 walls around my life. Listen, I'm, I'm there with you. I want to include you and then the one who said, I, I'm not a Christian here today. Here in a moment, I'm going to pray. And the way that this works is I, this is an invitation. This is a time for you to respond. And if your hand went up for salvation and said, I'm not a Christian here today, or if your hand went up and said, I'm kind of a religious critic, either one of those things, this altar is going to be open. And I would love to invite you to come down front. And we have pastors that would love to pray with you and show you how you can know for sure that you're a Christian here today. Or we have people that would pray with you just about your spiritual journey and and getting out of that judgmental, critical, pharisaical spirit. Anything that God spoke to you, would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then the altar is open. Everybody's standing, heads bowed, hearts lifted in prayer. Our music's going to continue to pray. If you raised your hand for any of those things, this altar is open. We invite you to come. Father, God, I pray that you give all of us the courage to respond today. To what you have done in our hearts. We were honest before you with a hand raised. God, give us the chance to respond today so that we can, we can make the decision for you. Bless this invitation time for it's in your name we pray. And at this time, if God speaks to you, if your hand was raised for any of that, maybe come down here and pray. Maybe you need to get together with your family and say, say listen, I, I need to stop being the way we are. We need to start acting like Jesus. Or or maybe you need to come down front and say, I I don't know Jesus as my Savior. And I want to leave here knowing Him. Stop trusting in myself and, and start trusting in Him. If anything God's dealing with you in your heart, the altar is wide open for you. I'd encourage you, don't put it off. Yesterday at the funeral service for Archie Nifong, and what an incredible thing, one of his grandkids after the service, after the graveside, just started thinking about eternity, and, uh, and, and God saved him. And so somebody got saved yesterday here today. And so listen, if God speaks to you, you come. Listen. The altar's still open. If, if God speaks, listen. We'll stay here as long as we need to, as people are being dealt with. If God speaks to you, you come. Don't delay. Play through one more stanza if you don't mind, Sarah Grace.